Welcome to Crime Bar. Grab a drink and enjoy the show. Look at the Khaleesi girl curled up. I know. We have a special guest today. Khaleesi's not normally allowed on the couch, but today she's curled up between us and she is liking it. Yeah. Khaleesi's a dog. Khaleesi yeah. <laughs> is our best friend. <laughs> Can you, like anyone who doesn't know who we're talking yeah. about, they were like, you have a guest and she's not allowed to be on the couch normally. She's curled up and she's real happy. <laughs> that sounds so weird. <laughs> she's happy to be between us. <laughs> In my dumb dog voice. Yeah, she's a cutie patootie. Yeah, she's a goddess. Um, okay, hey, how are you? Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> hey, girl. How are you? I'm going to turn my pet voice off and talk like a human. Every time Anna comes home or walks into the room and our dog, Cleese, is in there, she's always like, hey, girlfriend, hey, best friend. Oh, I love you. I love you. And then my I'm just angel. standing there and she'll be like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Khaleesi girl is the focus. Yeah. The apple of my eye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so, enough of that. <laughs> the shorty I'm doing today is mm-hmm. about a woman named Michelle Rivera Nice. That's a great name. Yeah. Michelle Nice. Yeah, nice. Mm. You Are you familiar with it? No, okay. I have no that, that It ended there. I like her oh, name. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so on January 16th, 2004, police responded to reports of a fatal car accident in Hopewell Township, New Jersey. But after inspecting the area, they determined it looked more like a homicide than it did a car accident. When Detective Dan McCowan arrived on the scene, he realized that he actually knew the victim. She was a 35-year-old named Michelle Rivera Nice, and the detective remembered meeting her the previous summer when her husband Jonathan had pressed charges against their former landscaper after discovering that he was stalking Michelle. They even went so far as to get a restraining order in place, so this was like a very serious case of stalking. Yeah. So it looked like Michelle had died from a head injury sustained in the car accident. There had been a horrible snowstorm the night before, and it looked like Michelle had like slid off of an icy road and crashed in an embankment near a creek bed. And this part really got me. I felt like it made me so sad. She was only a mile away from her house. Oh my, I have heard of this, that sort of situation multiple times. Yeah. Like a block away from being home and then gets in a car crash. Yeah, it's just terrible. Uh, So her husband told police that he had last seen Michelle the afternoon before around 4 p.m. when she was getting ready to leave for work. She had a job at the Chanel counter in the local Macy's and was scheduled for the evening shift. She was supposed to be off work around 10 p.m. and she'd had plans to meet up with girlfriends for a drink after work. So Jonathan wasn't expecting her home until very late. But the next morning when he got up, he realized that Michelle hadn't come home And then all of a sudden the police were there informing him of his wife's death. So the things that made the scene look like a murder and not an actual car accident were as follows. The car was not wrecked, not even a little bit. Michelle had been driving her Toyota SUV and there were very clear signs that it had driven off the road and down a snowy embankment, but then it just came to a a stop in a clearing. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of like- No impact. It doesn't even, from the photos, I looked at the crime scene photos, it doesn't even look like there's a scratch on the car. It looks like she kind of drove down and parked it. Yeah, it doesn't even look like the airbags went off. So it's like, that's literally what it looks like. Like she just drove down and and parked. parked. Another issue was that blood was found on the passenger side of the car as well as outside of the car. But Michelle was found- dead slumped over in the driver's seat 
There were also strange blood patterns on the driver's seat that didn't make sense with her injuries. Her injuries were also another thing. The medical examiner later determined that Michelle had three separate significant wounds to her head that were not consistent with a car accident, but they were consistent with blunt force trauma. She had cuts on her hands, but there was no indication where in the car she would have sustained those injuries. She was also driving barefoot in a snowstorm in the middle of the night. There were a pair of women's shoes on the floor of the passenger seat, but according to the forensic files that I watched, the brown shoes did not go with Michelle's dark blue outfit. So apparently that was very suspicious. She was wearing nylon stockings that showed she had recently walked barefoot because like the bottoms of them were a little bit dirty. Okay. There was also a large suitcase full of women's clothing and shoes in the back seat. Uh, but that isn't necessarily suspicious, just something odd to note. I also have so many different pairs I thought of, of you shoes t- yeah. and outfits in my trunk always. Yeah, because you go to so many photo shoots where it's like you just have so much with you all the, all time. the time. So I didn't really think anything of that. But the most obvious clue that pointed to the idea of foul play, there were distinct male boot prints that walked away from Michelle's vehicle up the embankment and back to the main road. So Michelle Rivera was born November 18th, 1969. So she's a Scorpio. She was raised in a big family in the Philippines. And when she was 18 years old, she began corresponding with a pen pal, a U.S. citizen named Dr. Jonathan Nice. He had responded to an ad for a Filipino mail order bride and was connected with Michelle. After months of writing letters back and forth, he came to the Philippines to meet her in person and they got married. Michelle and Jonathan settled down in New Jersey in a 21-room, 5,600-square-foot home in a gated community. They had three kids, two boys and a girl. Jonathan was older than her by, I think, about 10 years. is like 9 or 10 years. But they seemed very genuinely happy. Um, she was a full-time homemaker, and Jonathan was a very successful pharmaceutical entrepreneur. His drug company made him a millionaire, and he was working on a breakthrough medication to treat asthma. He was also incredibly generous when it came to supporting Michelle's family back in the Philippines. It's amazing. He regularly sent money back to them. He paid for everyone's educations. He helped house everyone. And he even funded the development of a public playground in her family's neighborhood. So by all accounts, Michelle seemed to have a very happy and cushy home life. She relished being a mom and her death seemed like just the most tragic accident except for the fact that it didn't look like an accident and only five months before she had died, Jonathan had been granted a restraining order against a stalker, a a guy who was stalking his wife. So I'm going to back up to that part. In early 2003, so about 15 years into Michelle and Jonathan's marriage, Jonathan received an anonymous phone call from a male who claimed that Michelle was having an affair. To prove it, he played a recording of an intimate phone call between Michelle and another man making plans to get together again. It was unmistakably Michelle's voice. The caller told him that unless Jonathan paid him $500,000, he would send proof of Michelle's affair to all of their friends, families, and business associates. That is a worse nightmare in every single friggin' way. Yeah. So Jonathan went straight to Michelle and confronted her. She admitted immediately that, yes, she was having an affair, and it was with a man named Miguel de Jesus. He was an employee who worked for a landscaping company that Jonathan Michelle had hired the previous spring to landscape their property. Jonathan was devastated, but they both agreed to try to repair their marriage. Michelle broke up with Miguel, and Jonathan went to the police to report the blackmailer, who they assumed was Miguel. 
Michelle told her best friend Larissa about her affair only after Jonathan found out and she dumped Miguel. Larissa was shocked because she knew the Nice family really well and she thought that they were really happy. And she was aware that Jonathan, you know, working long hours and being so much older than Michelle often caused issues between them. Because Michelle was, she was like technically younger, but also like she just in terms of vibrancy, energy. she was her energy, so that kind of thing. She was just seemed so much younger. She loved socializing and going out dancing. And Jonathan had tried to keep up with his younger wife like when they first got together but, it's but impossible. after like a decade together and a family to support and all that stuff Jonathan was just like okay I really can't sustain this like younger carefree lifestyle <laughs> he gave her family a playground like right. come on lady it sucks but from Larissa's perspective that doesn't seem like you know she didn't ever get the impression that like those types of marital problems were anything significant so yeah. she was really surprised to hear that Michelle had had an affair Michelle told Larissa that since Jonathan found out about the affair, Miguel had begun stalking her and she began to suspect that he'd only pursued her to get his hands on her husband's money. Mm. And when the police investigated Miguel, he denied making the extortion phone call, but they learned that during his affair with Michelle, he was living with his wife. He had multiple social security numbers. He had a baby mama who he refused to pay child support to. So he wasn't exactly an honest person. So Jonathan was so determined to keep Miguel from his wife. He pressed charges against Miguel and a judge granted the Nice family a restraining order. So now skip ahead to the police investigating Michelle's death, which is five months later after Mm -hmm. the restraining orders, after the restraining order was put in place. Obviously, Miguel is suspect number one. He tells police that he actually was with Michelle the night that she died, but he had nothing to do with her death. He told police that she had reached out to him and asked to meet at a motel after she got off work that night, and he agreed. They met up, they slept together, and then she gathered her items and left the hotel to go home around midnight, and he left shortly after to go back home to his wife. They sound great. I mean, it's like, come on. (sighs) Miguel said that while they were together that night, Michelle told him that she was planning to divorce her husband. She'd spent the last five months trying to repair her marriage, but in that time, Jonathan's pharmaceutical business went bankrupt. He lost all the family's money, which forced her to get a job at the Chanel counter to try to make ends meet. And she had learned that Jonathan had been keeping a major secret from her during their entire marriage. When they first met, he led her to believe he was only nine or 10 years older than her. That made her about, I think by the time they got married, she was about 20, which makes Jonathan about 30. And that's not a super big deal. But she found out that he was actually a full decade older than he had claimed, making him over 20 years her senior. And so this was like the last straw for her. And she decided she would absolutely pursue a divorce And if she's doing that, then why not resume her affair? You know, because she had only agreed to break it off when she and Jonathan wanted to work things out. I disagree with all this. What people do is you control your own actions. But yeah, 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 I I agree with that. And also, also he's embarrassed. So he added a debt. He took off a decade. I understand that. And also you're leaving him when his company is going bankrupt. That's great timing. Anyways, go on. Miguel's story ends up checking out, and after searching his property, they don't find any evidence that he owns shoes that match the boot prints in the snow. And given what he claims that Michelle told him, Jonathan is now suspect number one. So after getting a warrant and searching the Nice family home for any clues, police found a ton of stuff. 
In the garage, they found tiny specks of blood on the walls, stuffed inside of a plastic bag, hidden in the fireplace chute. Bloody towels were found, and testing later showed that the blood was Michelle's. Is this, wait, this is Michelle's home or Miguel's home? Michelle's. Michelle's. Okay. A clean baseball bat was tested and found to have traces of blood, but the samples were too minuscule to match to anybody. Jonathan claimed to be devastated to hear that Michelle had resumed her affair and had even been with her lover the night she died. But then police found a poem in Jonathan's desk drawer that he had written for Michelle, which insinuated that he had known for a few weeks that she was seeing Miguel again. Jonathan's clothes were in the washing machine and the water was a pink tint. Whether it was from blood, they couldn't determine. What they knew for sure was that the water didn't turn pink from any clothing dye. Like his clothes weren't bleeding. It was like a red t-shirt and a bunch of whites. Yeah, Nothing like that. But the most bizarre thing that they found were a pair of Jonathan's wool loafers. And the soles of the shoes were caked in a very thick layer of a substance that nobody recognized. Turns out there were four different types of glue mixed together and pasted to the bottoms of his loafers. So they search the home again and start finding tiny bits of rubber hidden throughout the house in weird places, like in a kid's toy box or stuffed in a box of Christmas lights or between couch cushions. After putting the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle, police formed a perfect pair of rubber soles that belonged to men's boots, and they were an identical match to the prints found in the snow. Mm -hmm. So this is what police believed happened. Jonathan had a pair of loafers that he would wear around the house, but I guess he wanted the luxury of being able to walk outside into the snow without changing out of his beloved loafers. (laughs) So he took a pair of snow boots and he sawed off the rubber soles, then glued them onto the bottoms of the loafers. Police concluded that- What a weirdo. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. Police concluded that Michelle had lied to Jonathan about getting drinks with friends after work so that she could meet with Miguel. They think that Jonathan knew or suspected she was lying, so he called her cell phone several times while she was out, and the fact that she didn't pick up the phone confirmed that she, I guess, confirmed in Jonathan's mind that she was with Miguel. After Michelle arrived home a little past midnight, she took her shoes off and left them in the garage, then walked upstairs, and this explains why the bottoms of her stockings were a little bit dirty. Jonathan confronted her when she walked into their bedroom, and they had an argument. Michelle began packing a suitcase and walked out on him. He followed her to the garage. She put her suitcase in the back seat. And just as she is about to get into the driver's seat, Jonathan grabs a baseball bat and beats Michelle to death. He then puts her body in the driver's seat, grabs a random pair of her shoes and throws them in. He gets into the passenger seat and he uses an ice pick to operate the pedals. Wow. And he drives like that out into a snowstorm to stage a car accident. Then he walked home leaving a literal trail. With his loafers. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And then after getting home, he hid the bloody towels, threw his clothes in the wash, cleaned the baseball bat, and then using the same saw, he cut the rubber soles off of his loafers, then hid the pieces of the boot soles. He cut them up and hid them in random places throughout the house. Better just to, to burn them, but okay. When police arrested him, he broke down crying and admitted to killing her, but he claims it was an accident. He said when she arrived home, he walked into the garage to meet her and she flew into a rage for no reason, picked up a stiletto and lunged at him, attempting to stab him in the neck with it. But in his attempt to block the hit, they struggled and he pushed her to the floor where she accidentally hits her head and dies immediately. 
He claims that he panicked and staged an accident, to which we all say, well, if it was truly an accident, then you don't need to stage an accident to cover up another accident. Jonathan was found guilty, but sentenced to only eight years in prison for beating his wife to death. And then after serving only five years, he was released. And then a few years after this, he wrote a book titled Under the Color of Law. And the description says it's a, quote, fact-driven account of an innocent man's nightmare journey through the American criminal justice system. We don't feel bad for you. No one does, honey. He recently made the news in February of 2020 when he was arrested for selling fake cancer-curing drugs for dogs. He's, he scammed several hundred thousand dollars out of desperate dog owners, and if convicted, he faces up to 32 years in prison. He gets more for that mm-hmm. than beating a human being yeah. and killing her. So because he he was sent, he was charged with, or I'm sorry, convicted of of like a passion crime or something. I can't remember the crime of passion. The, yeah, but it was phrased a little bit differently. It's a lesser charge of murder, which was he was initially um, on trial for. Yeah, and the judge said that yes, he did beat her to death, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. But based off of all the good he did in his life leading up to that, he didn't de- believe that Jonathan deserved to spend the rest of his life in prison. I'm curious of also the fact that she was having an affair and meeting her lover kind of played a part in that too, where they're oh, like, well, you know. I'm sure that judge has been cheated on. And so then he's just like, oh, well, you know, this poor <laughs> she guy. She asked for it. <laughs> yeah. An interesting thing that I just, you know, I, I think it's important to note just because his name was dragged through the mud. After arresting Jonathan and solving her murder and all that, police cleared Miguel de Jesus of the claims that he was blackmailing Jonathan. The police actually believe that Jonathan learned of the affair somehow, then recorded a phone call between his wife and her lover. He concocted a fake story about a man attempting to blackmail him as a way to confront Michelle with proof. And then he used this fake extortion to get a restraining order that would legally keep his wife from being with Miguel. It just, this makes me so sad because a very beautiful and vibrant 34-year-old woman was brutally murdered. Three children lost their mother. But unfortunately, most of the reporting on this story focuses less on her and more on her shitty husband. And that is the shorty about Michelle Rivera Nice. (laughs) I'm speechless. I know. I'm speechless because even when the fact that a, a man would go through with recording blackmailing concocting all these things like to control a partner you know that that had to have come out in other ways of their relationship and yeah. like I was very quick to judge and be like well when you do dangerous reckless things there's reckless you know there's consequences yeah. of those things so even do you, you know, qualify that- cheating on your husband as dangerous not da- well I think it's like it's it's I'm one of those, okay. It's reckless. So it's, it's, it's I'm one bad. of those people where I think that if you do things that are not kind, like if it's like an evil act, I think that you are welcoming evil into your life. I feel like if you're doing something that is hurting people, it's kind of like bringing a very negative energy. What you put out is what you get. And yeah. a short way of saying that. So I feel like when you are doing something that is betraying your children, ultimately, yeah. your husband, um, things like that, you are then welcoming a type of toxicity that you wouldn't be if you were just, you know. 
I know you're not trying to victim blame, but I no, definitely I, don't want anyone to think no, that we're what I was saying blaming. was that I, I was thinking that. Oh, immediately, as then, you were listening. As I was listening, yeah. I'm admitting to that. Yeah. <laughs> and then quickly realized that his behavior, if you are going to do something like that, then that mm-hmm. was something that probably was seeping into the relationship from day one. Yeah. The, I, and she uh, felt trapped. I did read that her family said, that throughout their entire relationship, Jonathan was extremely controlling. He mm-hmm. wanted to keep tabs on her at all times. Yeah. You know, he was very wealthy. He brought her to this country where she had no one here. She was so young, you know, she like this is all she knows. So mm-hmm. in so many ways, she was quite literally trapped. A kept woman. And then he, you know, is just being obsessive and controlling and, and really doing scary. invasive stuff like that. I don't agree with cheating at all, but it's also just like you know that, that their envi- their entire dynamic was probably incredibly unhealthy great. and sad yeah, not great at all well what an awful story but it is thanks yes. for telling yeah, me that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks for that shorty yeah you're welcome love you love you bye. bye if you enjoy this episode please rate review and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram at Crime Bar Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash crimebarpodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katarina. See you next week.